Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, uh, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Friends, the the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's pray to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is good. It is sweeter than honey. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is everything that we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, as we study your word now together, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things from your word, that you would produce repentance and faith in us. Lord, that you would have all the glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been angry? Just me, huh? Okay, fair enough. Well, I do get angry from time to time. And actually, as I was preparing to preach this week, I was reminded of a specific instance that happened about five or six years ago. Um, let me, before I get into the story, let me ask you this. When I'm angry, you know, and if you like me ever get angry, um, usually we want one of two things in that moment, right? We want either revenge or an audience for our complaining, right? Usually one of the two. Um, and so uh, in a specific moment that happened about five or six years ago, I had gotten frustrated about some things that were going on and bless her heart, unfortunately, my wife happened to be nearby and she became the audience for my complaining. And so, um, and thinking back on that moment, I was really hoping that she would listen and share in my pain and maybe even join in on this like anger slash self-pity party and listen, she did. But when she kindly, calmly responded, she pointed out that it was something that I'd done that put me in this position to start with. And that I might have avoided much or even all of this mess had I trusted the Lord with that, with that decision that seemed at the time to be unimportant. Ever been there? May have a decision that seems at the, at the, at the moment like it's going to be a no-brainer. It's going to be easy. 
I don't need to really pray about this. I know the answer. Here we go. And going to come to find out later on, wow, I really wish I had prayed about the decision. Well, this was that kind of situation. And can I be honest? Chelsea Allison Hartzell is the love of my life. I will love her till the stars turn cold. But I didn't really like her very much at that moment. Because even though I hated to admit it, what she told me was 100% true. And bless her heart, it couldn't have been easy to stand there and to hear me rant for a good while. And even more so to respond with something that she knew that I didn't want to hear. But once again, I had proof positive that Chelsea Allison Hartzell loves me. She truly, truly loves me. Because you see, friends, love is not something that just overcomes you like the flu and only to leave you a few days later. Love is a choice, though accompanied by emotion. It is a choice in which you commit yourself to act for the good of someone else. And love compelled my sweet wife to risk giving me what I would call short-term wounds with the truth for my long-term good. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about short-term wounds for long-term good. And really here in this passage, we see a clear example of God's love for Cain and, and really for us. And I want to be careful here. Genesis 4 is a narrative. It is a narrative, narrative, narrative. And, and in doing so, it is describing God's specific interaction with Cain at this point in the big story of redemption. It is not prescribing. It is not setting our expectations about how, how we should expect for God to interact with us every time. Please hear me when I say that, right? This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Not, not prescriptive for how we expect him to interact with us. And certainly, I hope not prescriptive for how we should respond to him, right? That is not what I want, what I want you to carry with you from, from here today. We're going to call your brothers and sisters and tell them, look out. Um, however, God does reveal through Paul in the New Testament that he has not only preserved, but he has orchestrated the, these true stories, these true narratives of these real people. And he's done it. He's orchestrated all of this for our good. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 through 13 says, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may, may be able to bear it. So I, what I want us to see, and praise the Lord, I want us to see how God as the author of all scripture, and maybe we just need to take a moment and think about that. Over 40 different authors, yes. Different backgrounds, different continents, different languages. 66 different books, yet ultimately, ultimately they have one author. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture, not just some, 
but all. And so we need to wrestle with the fact that as we read the story of Cain today and his interaction with God, that God himself, the author of all scripture, is speaking. Not just, not me up here speaking, right? I'm teaching God's word, but as we read and study God's word today, he is teaching us. He is using his word empowered by his spirit. And sooner or later, I'm going to get this, this ear mic thing down. You believe me, it's going to happen. He is using his word empowered by his spirit to teach and to transform our hearts for our good and for his glory. And so what I want us to see here is God, how God is the author of all scripture is admonishing us. Just as Paul said in this, in this passage before us, God is admonishing us through this true story where Cain serves as a real life example to us and how God provides a way of escape in the midst of Cain's temptation. Whether or not Cain takes the way out, it doesn't negate the fact that God is offering a true way out. And it's good for us to consider this and to see at least some general principles about how God is at work in the life of his creation. And if I could reduce this whole sermon into one sentence, it would be this. The Lord loves us right where we are. Can somebody say amen? With true promises, true warnings, and true encouragement for our good. Amen. So first, I want to to take that statement and I want to break it down and show you how we can see these things in the text. So number one, you're going to know that statement by the time we get out of here today. Number one, the Lord loves us right where we are. The Lord loves us right where we are. Start back and look with me at verse number five. Verse five, God has not accepted Cain and his offering. And looking closely at the back half of verse five, we see how the narrator describes Cain's reaction. It says, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Before we talk about why he's angry, look quickly at how the Lord responds to his his anger. Verse six says, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? You see, just like with Cain's parents, God came to Cain. He met with him right there where he was. And, in the, and, and the author used repetition here from verse 5 into verse 6 to show us that the Lord knows Cain's heart. Not only that, but he's making it clear to Cain that he knows, right? Proverbs 15.11 says this, Hell and destruction are before the Lord, meaning they're open, they're on, they're on display before the Lord. So how much more the hearts of the sons of men? What do you do when your phone starts acting crazy? I know that's like a really crazy question considering everything we've just been talking about, but follow me for a second. When your phone starts going crazy, what do you do? You take it to the phone store, whatever phone store that may may be, right? And so with that, you take it to the phone store and the phone store guy, the phone store girl, whatever, whoever it happens to be, plugs that joker into a computer. And, it, and most of the time, it's like Superman's x-ray vision, okay? That person can see quickly what's wrong with your, with your phone. They can make a diagnosis. Not only that, they can also start taking steps to right the wrong or to fix the situation, whether it's 
There's a repair that can be made or your phone just needs to be replaced. One of the two, right? And in a much better way, friends, no matter what's stirring in your heart this morning, could be joy, sorrow, anger, fear, your creator knows it. He knows it. He knows what's on your heart. And he is taking action, has been, has been taking action before you were even born. So we saw first that the Lord meets us. He loves us right where we are. Second, the Lord loves us right where we are with true promises for our good. God reminds us what is true with rock solid promises that we can stand on. Look there at verse seven now. God doesn't give Cain really a chance to answer the question as to why Cain is angry. Which leads us really to believe that his reason for being angry is not a good one. Instead, he confronts him with a promise. God confronts Cain with a promise in the form of another question. You look there at the first part of verse A or verse 7. It says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? God talks as if Cain understands what he means by do well. So let's look again and maybe we can understand too. Back in verse 3 now, before or kind of a little earlier in our passage today, it says this, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. You see, both Cain and Abel had brought back a portion of what the Lord had given him. The Lord being the, the, uh, the author, the giver of all things. And so they were bringing back a portion of what God had given them. We don't really know how Adam's family got into the practice of bringing offerings to the Lord. But we see from the story that both brought offerings. And they desired as they did so that God would accept them. So the question is... Why did God accept Abel's offering, but not Cain's? Was it because the animals were better looking than plants? No, because God shows us that just two books later in the book of Leviticus, how each of these offerings would have had their proper place in God's law for God's people. But look back at verse three and let's maybe give a little emphasis here. What specifically is the Bible saying in verse three? And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat. Okay, so we see now a qualitative difference between the two offerings. Is that it? Is, is that it? Is that all it takes? Just give God your best or at least better than the other guy, right? Is that what's going on here? And the answer is no. No, there's something deeper here. And this is something, praise God, that the New Testament gives us. So first, the Apostle John tells us, tells us this about Cain in his first epistle. First John chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his, Cain's, works were evil and his brother's righteous. Okay, so it's not just a qualitative difference. Cain's actions in verse 3 were actually evil. 
It wasn't that he just didn't measure up. It's that he did something evil in God's sight. And what Abel did in bringing his offering was righteous. But maybe you're like me. Maybe we still need a little bit more understanding on this whole thing. So praise God for Hebrews 11 verse 4. Hebrews 11, remember the hall of faith, right? And it says this, Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it, he being dead still speaks. There it is. There it is. Abel offered a better sacrifice by faith. So of course, he didn't have the whole picture like we do with the completed Bible now. However, God tells us that Abel didn't trust in himself. He didn't trust in what he could offer. He trusted in the Lord. And God reminds us in in places like James 2 verse 18 that you can see someone's faith by or through their works. And so we can see Abel's faith through his works in the way that he brought his offering to God, giving the firstborn and the fat portions, choosing to treasure the giver, God, the giver of all good things, choosing to treasure the giver rather than the gift itself. So what does that mean for us? See, I want you to see the peace and the joy that come from obedience by faith in God. And it's by faith in God alone. I want, and Romans 14 helps us here. Paul writes in Romans 14, 23, whatever is not of faith is sin. Paul doesn't really mince words here, does he? Just two options on the shelf, right? There is trusting God or trusting self. That's what it is. And trusting self, anything other than trusting God is sin. Cain's offering was not accepted because it wasn't by faith. We can see that lack of faith in the way that he made his offering, choosing to treasure the gift more than the giver. And God calls that treasuring of the gift more than the giver evil. Evil. So we have to understand Cain wasn't just angry because God had rejected his offering. Cain was angry because even before all of this story, Cain had been hardening his heart in pride and selfishness. And the love of God reminds him. In love, God reminds him the truth, what is good, what is right and true. And he does it with a promise. Just like hydrogen peroxide on a cut, it stings at first. But see this, God providing the way of escape for Cain, calling to him, beckoning him to turn from his sin and to do well, responding by faith like his brother, so that Cain can be accepted by God too. What about you and me? Today, we can only see what is external. We come in, we worship We serve, we do these things. All we can see is what's in front of us. All we can see is the gift itself without the understanding of the heart that's behind it. But you see, friends, I I feel like we have to remember God has fixed a day where each one's work will become clear. How much of your offering and mine will be revealed as evil before the Lord? 
because we're treasuring the gifts. Whether we're treasuring the fact that God has given us gifts and, we're in, and our use of them, that nobody can use these gifts to, pr- to praise God like we can, that's one way in which we treasure the gift rather than the giver. But also in choosing to keep all of that gift to ourselves and not use it for the advancement of God's kingdom. Whichever way, and I'm sure there's plenty of other ways to go, all of that is considered evil. All of it is. And my prayer for you is if that's you, please don't walk away today in shame or guilt or fear. Just like Cain heard God's promise, you today, in the sound of my voice, hear God's promise. If you do well, will you not be accepted? How can we do well? The Lord Jesus said it himself, repent and believe the gospel. Then John six thirty seven, he says, and the one who comes to me, I will no, by no means cast him out. Right? So do you wish to be accepted by God? Repent and believe the gospel and know that as you do so, that if you do so by faith, trusting that he is sufficient for you, that he will by no means cast you out. Turn from your sinful pride and run to Christ by faith. Won't you be accepted by him? So the Lord loves us right where we are. Not only with true promises for our good, but also he gives us, number three, true warnings for our good. True warnings for our good. You see, following this promise, God gives Cain a warning in verse 7. Verse 7, look at the back half of the verse. It says, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. Quick water break. That is much better. Thank you for your patience. So just as doing well in faith would lead to blessing, not doing well in pride would lead to destruction. And God warns Cain and us against living in pride and not by faith. Because what does he say? Sin is crouching at the door, waiting like a predator does, waiting for its prey. He says, its desire is for you. The meaning there really is that sin desires to have us, to dominate us, to consume us. Peter tells us something very similar about Satan himself in his first epistle. First Peter chapter five, verse eight says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may, whom he may devour. What's even scarier is that in Genesis 4, 7, God is warning Cain, and by extension, he's warning us of of an enemy that we can't separate ourselves from. Like Cain, we have inherited a sinful nature from, from Cain's mom and dad. Like it's been said, remember the old uh, comic strip Pogo? Pogo's famous line is, we have met the enemy and he is us. And so, with that, what do we say? That we understand that our sinful flesh yearns. It longs to do what? To overthrow us and to live in slavery to sin and self. 
Psalm uh, 1 verses 5 and 6 says this, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And since our own heart is deceitful and sick from sin, we might think that we're on the right path. But God's word is clear. There is a way, Proverbs 14, 12 tells us, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So praise God then that in his love for Cain and by extension for us, he throws the spotlight of truth on our indwelling sin, allowing us to see it for what it is. And he warns us, my child, don't play with sin. It will surely lead to your destruction. So the Lord loves us right where we are. He gives us true promises for our good. He gives us true warnings for our good. And finally, he gives us true encouragement for our good. He gives us true encouragement for our good. You see, after promising Cain a blessing for faith and warning him of the danger of sin, he presses Cain to choose what's right. Look again at verse 7. The very last phrase there, it says, but you should rule over it. And by it, he means what? Sin. That's right. And in the way that God describes it, um, Cain and we must repeatedly rule over it. That's the way that the language is built up there. We must repeatedly rule over it again and again. Your sinful flesh didn't just bother you. You know, remember that one day when your sinful flesh bothered you and then gave up? (laughs) No, right? That's not the way it works. Just like love bugs attacking your house in September, it's up in your face. All the time, every day you walk out the door, it's there, right? In the same way, your sinful flesh, though we are trusting in Christ, though we have hope of redemption, if we're trusting in him, no one can snatch us from the Father's hands. Praise God. Yet there is still a war to be fought. And your sinful flesh desires to overthrow you and live in slavery to sin and self for the rest of this life. Don't let it. There is no way to avoid it. This is life. If somebody told you different, I'm sorry. It's just not true. It is a war. And so how in the world then could anybody rule over sin? And at this point, I want us to remember that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, but of power and love and self-control. 2 Timothy 1, 7. Elsewhere, Revelation 12, verse 11 says this. I love this. It says, and they overcame him, being Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. God has always been in the business of building up his people by faith in him. And really, that's the key. How can we rule over our sinful flesh? By Faith. And that faith, friends, has an object. It's not just this abstract thing, right? Well, I have faith in what? In whom? 
Our faith has an object, and that object is the God of the Bible. Because you see, the God of the Bible, just and sovereign creator of all things, looked upon us hopelessly sinful people, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the God-man, to bear God's wrath against our sin on the cross and to demonstrate his power over death, his rule even over death in the resurrection. This thing is bothering me. Man, you want to talk about spiritual warfare being real. This ear mic, I bet Cody would agree with that too. Back to the gospel. So God sent Jesus Christ, the God man, to bear God's wrath against our sin on the cross and to show his power over death and the resurrection that whosoever turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus would be reconciled to God forever. Forever. This is the good news of the gospel. But please hear me. Please hear me. That faith will bear fruit. James 2.18 says it. You show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. If you claim to have faith, but your life bears no fruit of you trusting in Christ. There's no battle against sin. And I've been told on a number of occasions, and I've even said it myself, so I, I'm not saying that this is, uh, that I'm not saying this from a point of objectivity here. I've been there. But just that, that, that statement of, I'm struggling against this as if the battle's over. No, that's a good thing. To struggle against it means the battle rages on. Don't give up. Keep struggling against sin in all its forms and continue to press unto God by faith, trusting that as you read his word, as you pray his word, as you walk according to his word, that Christ is working in you by his spirit, making you more and more and more like Jesus. You are gaining ground in the gospel, not because of your works, but because of Christ in you. Praise God. And so that shows us, that, that reveals itself over and over again. Faith will show itself in, in your works. It will, show it, yourself, it will show itself in a fight against sin, tooth and claw, pushing forward, taking every thought captive even, choosing moment by moment to treasure and trust in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us until your last breath. Why? Because he's every bit of worth it. I just want to close our time together this morning by reading to you from Colossians chapter three, Colossians chapter three, starting in verse one. I love this passage. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of, not on the things of the, that are on the earth for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, um, a passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now 
you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is no, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And I love that passage right there at the end because what it, what it literally is saying, it's the all-inclusive plural. So it's Christ is all and in y'all. Amen. So as we close, I, I pray that you have seen the love of God displayed even here in the life of Cain. And, and that God loved Cain and he loves us right where we are with true promises, warnings, and encouragement for our greatest good. That we would rule over sinful flesh, our sinful flesh. Because again, we have met the enemy and he is us. You are your greatest enemy. I am my greatest enemy, but by God's grace that we would rule over sinful flesh and continue to grow in Christ's likeness for our good and for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, I confess and we confess together that you are the ultimate author of the scriptures. Thank you for including this part of Cain's story in the Bible. Thank you for revealing to us that this is not just a story for children, but that you have put forth Cain as an example that we should avoid. And Father, thank you that you are not only the author of the scriptures, but that you are, you are the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you for admonishing us with your true promises, with your true warnings and your true encouragement for our good. God, thank you also for putting forth the Lord Jesus, not just as an example for us to emulate, but as a hero, as the hero, as the savior, we praise you and we thank you that though he always obeyed, yet he bore the punishment for our sin on the cross. Lord, thank you for providing us a way of escape through Christ in the midst of our temptation. And we beg you now, Father, that in your mercy, that you would lead us to respond in repentance and faith for our good and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, praise the Lord. We have come to our time in our service where we have invitation. We, we, we have made the decision to move our invitation time to the end of the service because it's, we don't want to limit the work that the Spirit of the Lord is doing in the hearts of his people to just a couple of verses of a song. We want to take as much time as necessary to be able to meet with you. If you have questions, if you need prayer, if you just need somebody to explain to you more about this gospel, this good news, and how you can trust in Jesus, we will take all the time that is necessary. Don't feel like we're too, like maybe your pastors are too busy, your deacons are too busy to minister to you. This is the best part of our job, is to talk with you about Jesus. So please never feel, never feel like maybe it's just not a good time. No, please, I beg you. If the Lord's stirring your heart, come forward, spend some time with us and talk with us about God's word. Amen? Amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, I want to draw your attention back to the main idea of the sermon. The main idea was what? That the Lord does what? He loves us right where we are with true promises, 
warnings and encouragement for our good. So I just want to give you four quick things. First, rejoice. Rejoice in God's right where we are kind of love. How often does that truth cross your mind? That God is with you right where you are. He sees you. He knows even what's going on in your mind and your heart. What kind, of, what kind of feelings does that stir up in you? Peace, joy, frustration, fear. And if you're experiencing frustration or even fear of this because you're not trusting in the Lord, you've never had a time in your life where you turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, my, my, my plea to you is please be reconciled to God. And it's not difficult. It's very simple. Yet it, it, it does involve counting the cost because it means that in trusting Jesus, we are setting aside everything else. That he is my king. He is the satisfaction of my soul. And that he is my only hope for eternity. However, I will, I will tell you from my own experience that those, all those other things are not, be, not worth beginning to be compared to what you gain in Christ. And so my plea with you is please be reconciled with God today. All right. So, um, and then also just for those of you that are trusting in Christ, how could remembering the presence of God change your approach to this week? How could that change? Number two, number one was rejoice in God's right where we are love. Number two, trust in God's promises. Does this sound familiar? It's kind of following in line with the outline there. What promises does God, what promises of God come to mind to you from the scriptures? Are you trusting right now that those promises are true? Wherever you are this week, whatever you're doing, what promises from God's word apply to your current situation? How has God used them for your good in the past? And what are some promises of God from his word that might be strategic for you to help you as you memorize them? And I encourage you, memorize the word. What promises might be strategic for you to memorize in this fight against temptation? Because again, when Jesus was was tempted in the desert, what did he do? He said, it is written. This is what God's word says. And remember, the, the enemy even quoted back God's word to him, but he twisted it. He took it out of context to make it say what he wanted to say to trip Jesus up. So what does Jesus do? He doubles down. He quotes another scripture in context. He is the God of the word and he is, and his spirit is at work in you. If you're trusting in him, he will give you the power and the desire to do what pleases him. So if you're struggling with memorizing scripture, pray about it and ask God to give you the power and the desire to do it for his glory and for your good. And he will respond. So next, number three, heed God's warnings. Same thing, very similar questions. What, what warnings of God from scripture come to mind for you right now or wherever it is that you find yourself this week? Do you believe that God's warnings, hear this, do you believe that his warnings are just as loving as his promises? I don't know about you guys, but I really struggle. I've really struggled with that at points to believe that God's warnings were just as loving as his promises. 
I forget that from time to time. And so may it be that we remember, even as we experience conviction, even as we experience warnings from God's word, that we remember that it is for our good, that it is God, the author of all scripture, loving you in that very moment for your good and for his glory. So again, also, what strategic warnings can you memorize as you fight against temptation? Then last one, and we're done. Submit to God's encouragement. Like, actually listen to and follow his encouragement. Because you see, God is a faith builder, not a faith destroyer. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. No matter how little faith you think you have today, as long as you have faith, as long as you are trusting in Christ, then that's what is needed. And he will take that faith and build it. He will. That's what he's promised to do. Remember, you don't have to fight this battle alone. Not only do you have the spirit of God in you, but you also have an entire community, an entire family's worth of people who are doing the exact same thing. The biggest lie that you can believe is that I'm doing it all alone. Nobody understands. Nobody struggles like I do. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Don't you dare believe it. You have brothers and sisters that are struggling just like you. And I mean, we talked about 1 Corinthians, uh, I think it was chapter 10, beginning. No temptation has overtaken you except such is as common to man. Common. That means that there's probably somebody else nearby that, str- that has struggled with, will struggle with, or is struggling with it right now. We can fight this fight together. And we should. How can we build each other up by faith in the truth of God's word? And my last thing to that would be, are you a part of a Sunday school class? You might say, well, I'm, I'm actually teaching a children's Sunday school class. That's wonderful. And I thank God for you. You also need a Sunday school class that you're a part of. And I know all of our adult Sunday school classes would love to adopt you. And have you as a part of their community. Even though you can't be there on Sunday morning for Sunday school, they would love that every time they do a fellowship, you're there. You're part of them. Every time they have prayer requests, you can send in prayer requests. They're praying for you. You're a part of that. You're praying for people in that class. Please don't feel like in order to serve God that you have to neglect growing together in the midst of a community. It's needed. God's God's people need you and you need God's people.